overflow onto us. Lord, give us open ears to what you want to say to us through your spirit this morning about your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to learn more. We want to know more. We want to be changed more this morning. So we pray that uh, all would be said and done to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much. Good morning, good morning. <laughs> so uh, I have two prayer requests, if you don't mind. Uh, one is, um, um, it always happens, but about, um, I don't know how to pace myself when I preach. Yeah, have you figured that out? And uh, so I called my wife last night, and uh, I was like, hi, how you doing, sweetheart? Like, <laughs> who is this? And, uh, and then this morning, so appreciate prayers on the, on the voice, my voice be strong and all that. But the other prayer concern, and this is kind of serious, um, uh, so I'm a pastor, I got three great kids, but only one of the three great kids is really kind of deep in the Holy Spirit. The other two are kind of, mm, and uh, they are immune, you know, pastor kids are not immune, right, to the culture. Now, they're all walking with the Lord, they've professed Jesus Christ, I believe they're all three saved. Uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, is a missionary to Columbia, uh, in, in Columbia, uh, uh, South America. She is locked and loaded in, in, in on the Lord and walking deeply. And uh, just amazing, amazing, amazing. She's got an incredible, amazing testimony of how the Lord has worked in her life. My youngest is going to law school in, um, so there are 50 states in the continental U.S., right? And I can pronounce 49 of them. She goes to law school in the one I cannot pronounce. She applied to Arizona. Do you see how clearly I said Arizona? She applied to Michigan. I was rooting for Michigan. Um, no. She accepts Massachusetts. <laughs> I can't say that. It's just like I have like Massachusetts. Yeah, I have to like think I'm sneezing. Massachusetts. And um, so we're driving her. I'm driving her to UMass uh, a, week from, a week from today. Is it Tuesday? Yeah, a week from today. And uh, so we get back. I'll get back on Saturday, uh, rest up. And then Tuesday I'm driving uh, with her 16, 18 hours to to UMass, and uh, she's um, um, she's good, but she's not thick with the Lord. Does that make sense? She's not thick, and she's going to. Let's just be clear. She's yeah, you know, what I'm saying? she's going to the far east coast uh, in law school. Uh, that's not always good for your faith. Amen. So appreciate your prayers. Merritt is my oldest daughter. Olivia is my youngest daughter. And then here's the prayer request, actually. Taylor, my son, man, he's my, he's, uh, he's the chip off the old block. He's, uh, um, if, uh, if you don't like me, you don't want to meet Taylor. If you like me, you'll like Taylor. Uh, he, we're, we're just like exactly alike and, um, love the boy. Uh, his dog, um, they have a hound dog. He and his wife, he's married. He and his wife have been married about five years, six years. And his hound dog, Sabo, that's the name, Sabo, his hound dog ran off on Sunday. And they've not found him yet. And they put out a reward for them and all that. They don't want to have kids. They want to have. I'm not going to have grandchildren by any other uh, any other uh, uh, child except by merit. She's the one in Columbia. My grandchildren will be 2,000 miles away. Uh, Olivia does not. Of course, she's going to be in law school. She's looking career. Taylor and Colleen. They want. Um, they want. Uh, they want lots of puppies, uh, <laughs> not babies. So uh, he texted me last night, like about midnight, and uh, he said this. And I'm just being vulnerable, being transparent. So if you pray for Taylor, he said, uh, he said, Dad, I'm having a hard time with this. He's 28 years old. The omnipotent God of the universe. 
for some reason, can't bring my pet back. What does a dad say to that? I have no answer. There's no theological answer that says, oh, God will bring you, because God may not, and Sable may not be alive, right? Um, so what do you say to that? And at that point, you have to look, realize as a dad, any, any dads in the house, you realize you just don't know if you have an answer. You just kind of like, son, I'm here for you. I know I'm eight hours away, but I love you, and I'm here for you. Um, so I appreciate your prayers for Taylor. Has he? I think he's struggling with his faith. I know he's all. He has been for the last few years, um, and he's experienced the power of the Lord. He has experienced the power uh, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we walked together in ministry years and years as a 15, 16, 17-year-old. He played in drums in youth uh, uh, youth praise teams. He has been touched by the Holy Spirit. Amazing moments. Um, I shared one moment last last yesterday about uh, an abuse of the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you, make sure you understand, there are plenty of experiences of the Holy Spirit that not, are not abusive. Beautiful experiences. I've had a few myself, beautiful experiences where the Lord has uh, just literally knocked me over with his love. And so is Taylor. But Taylor is questioning why the God of the universe can't bring a pet home. And so, again, it may sound silly, but anybody who knows, it's not about a pet now, it's about my son's faith, right? So I appreciate your prayers on that. So it's been heavy on my heart today. I'm like, oh, God, I wish I had an answer. Fifteen times I picked up the phone like, well, here's a Bible verse. And I'm not sure he needs a Bible verse. He just needs a lot of prayer. And he'll have to wrestle that, right? He'll have to wrestle that relationship with him. So anyway, I appreciate you. love you guys so much. I'm so honored, so blessed. Um, I told Eric, uh, Eric Melanda is the, is the, is the guy from uh, who's doing the Bible study on prayer. And I said, I don't know, one of these days, somehow <laughs> the next few days, I'm going to tape myself, and you'll see me here because I'm going to be at his breakout session on prayer. But, no, I'll be, I'll be here. But, my goodness, I can't wait. I told him that he has to owe me. He's going to buy me lunch today in the cafeteria. Yeah. <coughs> so, so, all right, let me tell you a quick story, and we'll jump in. Um, so her name was Miss Imogene. Miss Imogene, when I got to this church in Firmers Chapel uh, in Corden, Indiana, Miss Imogene was, at the time, 95 years old. She died at 101. And on her 100th birthday, she asked for one thing for her birthday, a dictionary. Because she said, I'm sure that there are new words that have come up since I was born. And she wanted a dictionary. She read through the dictionary before her 100th and first birthday. And then about four months later, she passed away. At age 95, she, um, she was still on her own farmland, a three-story farmhouse. She was still herding her own cattle, 95. Uh, you just didn't want to get into a scrap with Miss uh, Miss Imogene. She was feisty, and uh, all 95 pounds of her. She uh, she was she literally weighed as what she how, what she how old she was, and and so uh, one day it was a Monday. I remember it was November. So I got to that uh, church in February of 1998, and that's when I enrolled in seminary and became a student pastor. And in November, it was a cold, dreary Monday morning, early November, and she calls me. And uh, uh, still the landline, right? No cell phones at this time. And, and she calls me. She says, uh, Brother Tim, they call you brother in Kentucky. She says, Brother Tim, uh, can you come over for lunch today? I'd like to talk with you. I said, sure. And um, I was actually a little bit kind of down on that day. It's just kind of dreary kind of day. But So I go over, and her, uh, her idea of a meal is uh, she always had iced oatmeal raisin cookies and Pepsi. That was her snack for me. But here... And there was no snack. It was pretty cool because uh, she, uh, when she invited me, she said, I got cheese toast and tomato soup. Now, a couple things about this. Uh, 
I, I grew up in a uh, baby of six. Uh, again, like I said, we had little means. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money, and we ate a lot of tomato soup. I don't like tomato soup. We also ate a lot of cheese toast. Is that what y'all call it up here, cheese toast? Grilled cheese. We call it cheese toast, all right? So in Kentucky, we call it cheese toast. And uh, so we ate cheese toast, grilled cheese. And, and uh, so I, she, when her invitation for dinner didn't excite me a whole lot. Now, I love Miss Imogene, but I wasn't all excited about the lunch I was going to have. But that's okay. So I show up, and uh, she says, well, bad news, Brother Tim. Uh, I opened the can of tomato soup, and it was spoiled. So I had to make homemade potato soup. When? Yeah. I'm like, there is a God. No, just kidding. Um, no. So God of grace and God of glory. And, um, and so we still had the cheese toast, but that's okay. Cheese toast can go down easier with good old homemade potato soup. And so um, we're sitting there eating, and sure enough, after the meal, guess what there was? Homemade iced raisin oatmeal cookies and a can of Pepsi. And so I sat down on the couch. She was in her rocking chair, 95-year-old, 95 pounds, not kidding, feisty and strong as ever. Usually wore, uh, like, the big boots because she didn't know when she was going to go out and traipse around the farm. And so big boots, a dress, and a shawl, and her gray hair and her spectacles, right? They're not really glasses. They're just those tiny little spectacles. And she's sitting on the, in the rocking chair like this, and she says, Brother Tim, I had a problem with your sermon yesterday. I'm like, I'm in mid-bite. <laughs> I mean, you know, my tears, my teeth were sinking into that cookie, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this was a good day until now. So now she's going to complain about my sermon. The first time that Miss Imogene or anybody really at that time, I'm sure other people probably didn't like my sermons at the time, but, but they were nice enough not to say, you know, hey, I have got a problem with them. But here she's like, I got a problem with your sermon. I'm like, oh, no. And she said, you remember that time in your sermon where you said, I'm nothing but a sinner. I said, yeah. She said, I have a problem with that. I said, yes, ma'am. I didn't know nothing about nothing. Remember, I was born again uh, a year earlier. I was born again in May of 1997. This is November of 1998. Now, I just enrolled in seminary, so I had uh, started getting a little bit of understanding, but I now read through the Bible a thousand different times by that time because I was so hungry for this. Um, I never told you, my, I'm the baby of six. My brother, uh, my closest brother is Michael. He's a good Baptist, amen? And, um, and uh, I would remember, again, this is landline, right? <laughs> you know? And so I remember reading the Bible, and I began, I'd come to places like uh, donkeys talking. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Balaam and Balak. And there's this place in the Old Testament, this weird story about donkeys talking. And I'd call my Baptist brother. I'd say, is this real? And praise God, my Baptist brother said, yes, sir. <sighs> Hang up. Like 20 minutes later, I, I, you know, it's no such thing as speed dial at this point in my, in my house. And so, Michael, yes, what? This thing about this fire coming down on a mountain. This dude named Elijah, that's not true, is it? Yep. Crazy. I get to Lazarus, my mind's blown. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, no way is this true. No way is this true. So anyway, my Baptist brother helped me understand the word of God is the word of God, all powerful. It, 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 it reveals the real power, the real love, the real grace, uh, the real supernaturalness of a real God. And um, so Miss Imogene is talking to me. 
And so I don't know anything about anything. I'm in that learning process. And she says, I just really have a problem with you saying you're a sinner. Are you born again? Oh. I mean, I, this is when you kind of start. You know you are, but you're now you're like under the, you're under that spotlight. You're, you know, that light's on. And, 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 you know, it's like the good cop, bad cop. Like, I think so. And, yeah, yeah, I think I am. She said, well, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus change your nature? Did he change you on the inside? I said, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. So she, she began to teach me that day with a bunch of uh, iced oatmeal raisin cookies and Pepsi. I, I probably went through a six-pack of the, of the Pepsi. But all I know is I'm sitting there for probably three hours, and she's teaching me what I tried to share last night about the difference between sinner and saint. Jesus didn't come to save you from the things you do. Jesus came to save you and me from what we were. Big difference, amen? Amen? Big difference. And, and I just see this in this world of ours where we continue to kind of lean on our own understanding. And we lean on other people trying to help us uh, get better habits or, or self-help or all this. And, and I've seen people not be born again and have good habits. Is, am I making sense? They're really good people with really good habits. They stop smoking or drinking or cussing or whatever. But they're not born again because they change themselves. There's a lot of that. But what the Bible is talking about when it says born again in a new nature, and this is how the Holy Spirit is supernatural. The Holy Spirit takes the blood of Jesus that was offered on the cross. Only, the, only Jesus could do that. And again, I say, I say, I say again and again and again, the Holy Spirit's job is to point you, to point you, and to point you to who? Jesus. That's why you can't have enough of the Holy Spirit. Can, can you, anybody have enough of Jesus? Can anyone have enough of Jesus? Can anyone have enough? You want to be bold enough to say, I have enough of Jesus. Then you need more of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's job right now is to point you who? To Jesus. To give you more who? Jesus. To, to help you fall in love with who? Jesus. That, that's what the Holy Spirit's job is. And that's his role because it's the perfect trinity. And the Holy Spirit's never going to do anything to exalt himself, right? Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, I've done nothing to come exalt me. I've done everything who has told me? The Father. So Jesus' job was to point you to the Father. And the Father's job is to point you to Jesus and the Spirit. It's perfect trinity, perfect unity. I'm, I'm a huge Trinitarian. I'm a huge, huge uh, fan of orthodox belief in the, in the trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So she began to teach, and she began to teach me and, te and keep kind of preaching at me a little bit in that uh, farmhouse on that November Monday morning, uh, Monday afternoon now. Man. I started realizing I'm not a sinner. Because if I'm a sinner, Jesus has done nothing for me. Is that making sense? I just really want to kind of take a pulse because I know I dropped that on y'all yesterday and last night. And I kind of was, I've done this for about 25 years, so I kind of know when people are like, huh. I kind of get that sense. And there seem to be a lot of, huh. I just want to make sure that we're clear. This is 100% this is Bible, right? Jesus doesn't make you a better person. Jesus saves you from your sinful nature. Amen? Big difference. Big difference. 
And, and so when I ask if you're born again, uh, and, and when, when you kind of start, refl- any preacher, any pastor, any preacher, any evangelist, uh, when, you, when they ask, are you born again, it's not, are you in control of your habits? Are you a better person than you were a year ago? No, it's, are you saved from the inside out? Do you know that the stain that, that defines you is now gone? So you no longer are a sinner. You don't walk around as a sinner. One of the things that I, I share at the church a lot is language. I think language matters. Let me, let me make sure I'm clear. Uh, language matters, amen? Our language matters. Let me make sure we're clear. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is teaching, and he says to his disciples, at the end of time, Christians, we Christians, are going to stand and still be judged. Now, we're not going to be judged for salvation purposes, amen, because we stand before a mercy seat, amen? We don't stand before a great white throne of judgment, praise God. We are escaping that judgment, praise God. But as Christians, we, do, we are going to be judged based on our works, Matthew 7, amen? And what does Jesus say about our words? Come on, guys, help me out. What does Jesus say about our words when it concerns judgment? We will be judged for every idle word. I don't know about you. That kind of <gasps> causes me to pause. This is why James tells us to be careful of what? Using the tongue. Y'all tracking? Our tongue is sometimes the worst weapon we got, right? It really is. We whip it out, and it's just like, pow, and we just let people have it. And we think we've done a good service, and God says, whoa, I thought I was trying to sanctify you here in the heart, right? And, and that heart, you know, out of the mouth comes, starts where? The heart, right? Whatever comes out of the mouth starts in the heart. So I'm saying all this because of this. The language matters. Language matters. Now, I, you don't have to agree with this at all, uh, but I tell the church, I said, for instance, uh, things like, um, um, uh, when, okay, so in that passage of Scripture uh, yesterday in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those in, dri- in Christ Jesus. If that's true, the language that we would use, shame on you, should never come out of our mouth. We should never say shame on you to anybody because that word condemnation means shame. So if God took shame off of somebody when they were born again, why in the world are we putting it on somebody? Does that make sense? So language matters. What we say matters. What we say matters. So when we say we're sinners, do you see what I'm saying? Anybody know what I'm saying? Anybody Everybody tracking with me, right? So when I say I'm a saint, there's no pride there. There's no arrogance. It is like awe. Like he took, because now, so I know my testimony very well. I know the the lying, hypocritical uh, wretch that I was. I know the scoundrel I was. I know all too well. But today, I'm not that scoundrel. Not because I changed habits. Because Jesus changed my life. I am born again. So if I'm born again, if I was born a sinner, right, now I'm born again as a. If I was born a sinner. And, 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 and this, David, this is what David says. Um, in my mother's womb, I was a sinner. Then now I'm born again as a. I think it changes everything. I think it's a game changer. I think it's a game changer. And then we don't walk in pride. We don't walk in any arrogance. We walk in understanding that we couldn't have done that ourselves. Only, only the power of Jesus could do that. 
And as the power of Jesus comes into our lives, then guess what? We are now in love with him ever than, more than ever before because we know where we were without him. We know where we would be without him. We know where we would end up without him. And now we know where we are with him. And it just causes us this great awe and this great love. And guess what? You stay in love with Jesus all the days of your life because, wow, you know where you were. You know who you were. I think there's a reason the Bible says over and over and over, remember. Remember. On the Lord's Supper, remember. Remember that body. Remember that blood. So I just want to kind of lay that out there. The reason that, that I think it's pretty important to teach that about sinners and saints is I think a lot of people have an identity that you're a sinner. They just walk around with us and say, well, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Well, are you born again? Well, yeah, but I'm still a sinner. I just challenge you to find that in Scripture where you're born again and still a sinner. You know how Paul addresses the church of Jesus Christ? Every, every letter Paul addresses to the saints. You know, it's the early church, right? We're not, he's not talking to a bunch of 80-year-olds who just happened to walk with Jesus for 60 years, and that's what makes you a saint. We have an idea that a saint is someone who walks with Jesus for a long, 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 long time. No. A saint is someone who's been born again. Is that making sense? So I just want to clear that, make sure that I kind of, I laid that out there yesterday, and I thought that this morning about Miss Imogene kind of teaching me that. And I think that just changes your identity, changes your thought process. It changes your, your and for me, I don't know, it, it also makes me understand the power of Jesus is greater than just making me a better person. Jesus didn't die, I want to say it one more time, Jesus did not die to make you and I a better person. Oprah, Oprah can do that. Nothing is over. Dr. Phil, that's it. Dr. Phil can do that. Thank you. That's it. Dr. Phil could do that. Only Jesus could change your nature. And you can go from a sinner to a saint. I just think that's profound. I think that changes the way we look at things and changes the way we see Jesus. So, all right. Uh, so, let's talk a little bit about Holy Spirit in holy moments. So, um, a teaching I do at the church, uh, again, just kind of going through Scripture, just making sure Scripture, we're solid in Scripture, we're understanding Scripture. Uh, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 1. Luke 1. And you'll see the Holy Spirit in every one of these moments. And there's just, I only just have nine because time frame, uh, we could do a whole lot more. But Luke 1. Anybody know, without even looking at Luke, anybody know kind of what's happening in Luke 1? Anybody, anybody? Anybody, anybody? Zacharias, Elizabeth, and a virgin named Mary, right? So look at this, what's happening in Luke 1, 29 through 35. Read most of it here. And so here it is. Um, I'm reading from the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version for this one. It says this. But she was much perplexed by his words. This is Mary. Uh, so Gabriel comes and says to Mary, the virgin's name was Mary, and he comes and says, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And then he picks up here. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. There's a slight problem with that. She's a virgin. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. Verse 33. He will reign forever and ever over the house of Jacob, and his kingdom there will and of his kingdom there'll be no end. Mary said to the angel, Now how can this be since I'm a virgin? I think a legitimate question. Verse 35, look at this. The angel said to her, What does your translation say? 
the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be holy, and he'll be called the Son of God. This is one of my most favorite verses in all the Bible about the Trinity. You see the Trinity right here. The Holy Spirit, who's the Most High? The Most High is the Father. He's, the, he's God. The Most High God. That's, that's what the Jewish people knew him to be, the Most High God. There are plenty of gods in that day and age. There are plenty of gods. But the Most High God is the Father, the Holy Spirit, Yahweh. The Most High God is the one true God of Israel, the Father. They knew him to be the one God. And then the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is doing the work of conceiving who? The Son of God. Now, the Son of God was not born inside Mary for the first time. The Son of God has been coexistent from the beginning of time. Amen? Now, I will tell you, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, in no way, no ways, no shape, no form. Um, I had a vision several years ago. I shared this with my church. I've shared this with certain places. And I, unfortunately, I think the vision um, has come to pass. And, and again, I, I, I don't dream a whole lot. I do have some visions. And I'm okay with that. The prophecy of Joel says what? Anybody know the prophecy of Joel? Old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. I don't dream, so I, I'm, I'm young. I'm, I'm going to stay forever young. Isn't that a song? Forever. Okay, anyway, so um, so, so I had a vision a few years ago of a beach, uh, uh, like a, a summer beach and the tons and tons. It was kind of weird, though. All the adults were, like, back in the back here, lounging around, sleeping, suntanning and all this. In front, right here in where the wake was hitting the beach were all the kids, all the kids. And I saw this drone, this, this drone kind of vision. Or I was, like, from above, and I had this vision, wide-awake vision of this incoming tsunami. Anybody know what a tsunami is, right? And a tsunami you know, creates, tsunami, you know how it's created? You know how a tsunami is created? A tsunami is created usually by the shifting of tectonic plates in the ocean, somehow, like a volcanic uh, rea uh, 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 reaction or uh, earthquake or something where it kind of sh shifts and shakes. And so then all of a sudden this and all of a sudden, this wave begins to come from underneath and, and, and begins to grow and grow and grow. And I began to see this beginning of this, this tsunami pretty far away. But then I began to see kind of words develop on the wave. And, and the words began to develop a little bit. And then I watch it. And then the drone takes me back to the beach. I see the parents. And the parents are there. And they're kind of just lousing around. The adults are kind of sleeping now. The kids, all the kids are like under 12 years old or something, 12, 13 years old. And they're all just playing in the beach. And there isn't a single adult there. But, but all the adults are up here playing, are just sleeping. And long story short, long vision short, the vision was only about maybe 13 seconds, 15 seconds long. But I kept seeing this over and over and over where the tsunami wave got bigger and bigger. And the lettering around, there's like lettering on top of the wave. And the letters began to form as the wave got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I saw this eventually, it was like 20, 30 feet high. And, and it was massive. And it was like maybe like right, so here's the beach right here, right here. Here's the beach and here's the kids playing. Now the wave is like at the door of the tabernacle. And it's like, it, it's, it's like seconds away from crashing and just wiping off the beach. And at this point, the parents finally wake up. They wake up and they're like, oh, no. And they're pointing, but it's too late. And, and the wave wipes out the entire beach. In the language, don't shoot me. Don't hurt me. But the language, the, the words that I saw across the wave, progressive Christianity. Now that may be a new term to you. hope it's not. If it is, I would invite you to do some research because your kids and your grandkids are under the tsunami effects of progressive Christianity. 
And the reason I bring that up is progressive Christianity denies the virgin birth. Progressive Christianity taught in many churches today, many churches today, denies that the blood of Jesus is needed. Progressive Christianity denies that Jesus is the only way. Progressive Christianity is very appealing to young people who have a lot of questions. I don't know, like a son whose dog is mad and can't understand why bad things happen to really good people. I would just say, I would just invite you, don't take my word for it, but do some research on progressive Christianity. And I go to their, I, I, you can go right to their website, and they have top, like top eight tenets and uh, top ten beliefs, and none of them have to do with the blood of Jesus. None of them have to do with sin. They've redefined sin. They, again, they don't believe in the virgin birth. And the vision I had were parents were doing what? What were the parents doing? Sunbathing, relaxing, sleeping. All the while, the kids are playing at the edge of progressive Christianity. You want to be careful, guys. You really do. You want to, be, you want to know what is coming for your kids and for your grandkids. We don't, anybody know we don't live in a world like we used to like 20 years ago? I mean, I'm, I'm, only, I'm, I'm, I'm close to 60, but I remember clearly the culture change. I, I, I've lived now long enough to see probably two or three culture changes. I'm only 58. And the culture change continues to move further and further and further away from Scripture. And I'm talking in the church. I'm talking in the church. I'm talking. I'm not talking big, bad, sinful culture. I'm talking in the church. I'm talking things that are preached from pulpits and taught to thousands and thousands and thousands of people who love to hear that kind of teaching. So one of the things I invite my people to do and invite my church to continue to press in is always believe in a supernatural God. Amen? Your God is a supernatural God. He cannot fit into your posture. He cannot fit into your understanding. He cannot fit. His ways are what? Higher than your ways. His thoughts are what? Deeper than your thoughts. There's no way that you can understand a God of the universe the way you want to. All you can do is trust him to work in your life and surrender to him. But if you are waiting for all the answers to God, you'll never come to God. Because that's not how you come to God. How do you come to God? Through faith alone. Your God is a supernatural God. Amen? Don't deny the supernaturalness. This virgin birth. Who was at the virgin birth? Who caused the virgin birth? The Holy Spirit. It says it right there. Amazing. Turn to Matthew 3, one of my favorite passages too. Matthew 3 uh, or Luke 3, either one. Uh, I'll probably go to Matthew, but if you want to just turn a couple pages over to Luke, they're very, very similar. This is the baptism of Jesus. And so in Matthew 3, I, told, I, re- I referred to this, I think it was yesterday morning or last night, but uh, Jesus is coming to be baptized, right? And uh, he's not coming to be baptized. And this is the reason I kind of, and again, I'm not trying to be uh, uh, controversial. I'm not trying to be confrontational. Um, but I do think that we have argued and debated about water baptism more than God would like us to. Uh, and, and I just think we just put so much emphasis on water baptism. I have a horrible story. Um, it's my first year of ministry. Uh, we were still in that little pastorate church. I had Three Point Charge, uh, Three Country Churches, beautiful people. My goodness, loved, loved them so much. Um, I uh, made a lot of mistakes there, a lot of mistakes, and still do. But, uh, but, but uh, those people loved me and embraced me and my wife and my family. 
um, one day a, a dear friend of mine, uh, a pastor friend of mine, called me and said, hey, we got a fellow, he's dying of cancer, he needs baptism. Okay, I didn't know. Again, remember, I knew nothing about nothing. So I'm like, okay, if we need, okay, let's go. So we go and uh, we go to this house that his daughter's name was Sarita. Sarita went to my church, but uh, the father, the father knew nothing about Jesus, wanted nothing to do with Jesus, pretty hard man, 70 years old, dying of cancer, in the last stages of his life, hospice has already been called, and I think at this point hospice had been kind of released. Uh, he didn't want hospice there. He wanted to die at home. And so this was like kind of the day that he was going to die. And uh, my friend called and said, hey, we got to get him baptized. So I said, okay, okay. So we show up, and, and as we show up, um, I pull in, and there's Sarita. Uh, Sarita, God bless her, was a chain smoker. And she was sitting in the kitchen table, and she's just like puffing away, and she's all nervous now. <laughs> I, I'm not like, <laughs> they're, they're, uh, Daddy does not want to be baptized, but they think that he needs to be baptized or he's going to die and go to hell. And so I, I just, they're trying, and there's like seven people in there. And so I kind of peek around the corner. I don't want to be number eight, but I peek around the corner. And it's a scene from some movie that I've never kind of, I don't want to see again. But there's this scene. They're trying to talk to him, and he's yelling. He's cussing. He's a mean-hearted man. He really is just a mean-hearted man. And, and, and here's, um, here's uh, a Sarita still in the kitchen. And so I'm in the hallway, and I can kind of see Sarita. And here's in the hallway, and there's this narrow, it's a farmhouse. There's this narrow hallway, pictures on the wall. And they pick up this probably a 100-pound man now because of, uh, of cancer and, and all that. They pick him up. He's yelling and he's screaming. I mean, cussing. And as they're taking him, like it took four or five guys to just lift him up and take him. He's like scratching. He's screaming and cussing. And he's grabbing at the walls. Pictures are flying. Glass frames are breaking. All the while, Sarita's puffing away. Like she's all nervous. Like, they get him, they had two guys, they sent him ahead to the bathtub, this old bathtub, this eagle, like this claw, uh, what is that, the eagle claw, yeah, and this old-fashioned bathtub, and, and they're filling it up, you know, you know, and, and, and he's like uh, yelling and cussing, and, and they get him, and he holds that for a 90-pound man dying in about five hours, because he died five hours later. And he's pretty strong because he's holding like five guys back because he's got his one arm and he's two, his two hands on the frame of the door of the bathroom. And he's like kicking at them and, and they're like all flailing away and he's yelling and cussing the entire time. And, and they get the bathtub filled and they put him in and, 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 and in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they boom, and they dump him and his foot goes up. Because I'm watching that. Sarita puffing, daddy being baptized, his foot goes up. His foot didn't get wet. True story. They pull, they, they pull him out. One of the guys said, hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. He didn't get fully immersed. He's not saved. Some waterfalls as we talk about baptism yesterday. Um, they're just hovering there. <laughs> just hovering. Good. He died five hours later. I think they tried to baptize him again. I, I just remember that transition of what Jesus had in mind. It didn't feel like, sound like, look like Jesus. Did it? And 
And so I just, I say, I, I'm a big fan. We baptize, like I said, we baptize in the creek behind us anywhere from about 250 to 400 a year. Uh, and and we, we've averaged that for probably five, six years, all by the supernatural. We have a little tiny country church, 100, about this size right here is the sanctuary, I told you. And, and we baptize a whole bunch of people from community, from our church. We send them into small groups and home churches, like talking about Larry. Uh, we send them into house churches. We send them to different places. And, and, and Bible study, the most important thing is you get connected to a church or a family or a community. And so this story is, is, so the reason I tell you that is I'm pretty sure Jesus did not get baptized to get saved. I don't think anybody wants to use that theology, amen? Does anyone want that theology that, that Jesus had to get dunked in a Jordan River? I've been to the Jordan River because it's kind of a very cold, kind of a dirty river. But I don't think Jesus had to be baptized to be saved, right? So there's something else. And, and so look at this, though, this beautiful passage of Scripture in Matthew 3 or Luke 3, wherever it is, and they're really similar. I'm reading from ba Matthew 3, uh, 13, 16, and 17, just a couple of verses. Um, it says this, um, and then when Jesus was baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly what? Heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. So there's a physical form of, a, of, of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and it landed on him. And so there's the Son of God again. There's the Spirit of God. And then what? The voice from heaven says, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. So there's this, there's this Holy Spirit present at the baptism of Jesus. Right? Holy Spirit in holy moment. Holy Spirit in holy moment. This one we're going to talk about tonight. We're not going to go uh, real deep in this one at all. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll share uh, the, uh, the Romans passage, Romans 8. Uh, I'll share that tonight. But if you will go to Ephesians, Ephesians 1. So we'll, we will talk about this third one, which is one of my favorite, 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 favorite things about the Holy Spirit and that I've learned in my years. So go to Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, beautiful passage of Scripture. Paul tells, talks to the church of Ephesus, and he says this, tells them about the power of God and talking about the uh, hope that they would learn to love God and understanding of God. But he, this is his prayer. Part of his prayer is this in 19, 20. He says this, and what is this immeasurable greatness of power, notice the word power, the immeasurable greatness of power, of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power, verse 20, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and all that. And so one of the things that we understand is power, that word power, and that, and that Greek word is, anybody know what that Greek word is? Dunamis. Anybody know what English word we get from that Greek word? Dynamite. Dynamite. Is that Jimmy from, uh, what was that show? Good Times, yes. Dynamite. Jimmy Walker, that's it. Uh, I don't, uh, I just watch, uh, I just watch whatever's on TV, uh, my little black and white TV. Our, we had a black and white TV, got two and a half channels, right? And, 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 uh, and we had to do the aluminum foil on the rabbit ears, and that's how I grew up. So, anyway, um, so, um, so here's this power, and we'll talk more specifically about what that power is tonight. But if you look at Romans 8, it's very, very, very clear. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says is who? Holy Spirit. Now, don't shoot me. Don't hurt me. I'm, I'm just, I push, I challenge us to think about this Holy Trinity thing because Jesus was 100% man and 100% God, right? This is the beauty of one. This is the, the mystery. And again, you got to hold this mystery. It's kind of like the Venn diagram. You got two circles and they overlap. And right here in this place where the two circles interlap, 
uh, overlap is, is you, you kind of know there's a mystery. You don't know everything about God. And so how does Jesus become 100% man and 100% God? We don't know, but we know that he was 100% man, 100% God. He lived for 33 years, he believed, on this earth, was crucified, dead, buried, rose on the third day, ascended into heaven, now sits at the right hand of the God the Father. I'm a fan of the Nicene Creed. I'm a fan of the Apostles' Creed. We would be wise to learn that, know that, not just recite it, but actually understand what it means. Some good orthodox theology right there. That the church has lost. The church has abandoned. In large part because of progressive Christianity. I'm not trying to be a, pro- a basher of progressive Christianity. I'm just telling you, again, once again, parents, grandparents, you might want to learn what your kids are hearing and learning. And, and this is the culture. The culture has changed. The culture is not a traditional Christian culture anymore. Is that a gasp for anybody? The culture is a, at best, either anti-Christian or progressive Christian culture. So we literally are like the salmon swimming upstream with bears eating us for breakfast. That's your kids and your grandkids. And and us if we're not careful. Well, exactly, and that's the that's the lure, isn't it? That's the lure. Well, this is Christian because Jesus is involved. Jesus just isn't high and lifted up. Jesus isn't the only one. Jesus is one of many ways to experience heaven. But to a lot of people, that sounds really good, right? Because if we say Jesus is the only way, if we're not careful, we sound what? Narrow-minded, arrogant, and we're telling people your way is the wrong way. So I tell people all the time, I'm not, we, we, we don't tell people that to, to be arrogant or, or, or oppressive. We're telling you that because there's good news. Because all the other ways have been blocked. And there's only one way. And Jesus, out of his love and his mercy and his grace, provided that way. So this isn't like, hey, uh, there's only one way and you're wrong on this way. It's there's only one way that, that God has allowed this to happen somehow for whatever reason. And all these other ways are going to end up dead end. And so we try to do that with love and grace, not with some kind of arrogance. But they hear a lot of times it's heard as arrogance. But, yeah, the word Christianity is just lure that kind of just baits. So we'll talk more tonight about this power that raised Jesus from the dead. But I'll just say this. Don't shoot me. Don't hurt me. You know what dead people can't do? Get up. Now, don't shoot me. Well, he's Jesus. Yes, I know. I know. But the Bible says, the the Bible, the Word of God, not your opinion. Not your cultural theology, not what you learned from something else or somewhere else or passed down to you. What the Bible says is the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. That's what the Bible says. Yep. Romans 8. We'll go there. We'll go there tonight, but we'll go there now. Romans 8. Romans 8, 9 through 11. We'll talk about this tonight, but we'll talk about it now. Romans 8, 9 through 11. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. Since the spirit of God dwells in you, lives in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Wow. But if Christ is in you, see, the, though his, the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him, y'all, 
Say that. Say that again. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Romans 8. And Paul is telling the church of Ephesus the same thing when he uses the word power. That the power that raised Jesus, you see that passage in Ephesians 1, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. He doesn't name the power, but the name of the power has already been named in Romans. The Holy Spirit is dynamite, enough dynamite. to Now, put Jesus in his, in his supernatural second person of the Trinity, get up from the dead, of course he could have. But whatever the reason, that was not how it happened. Jesus did not wake himself from the dead. Could he have? Of course he could have. But that's not how God planned it. God wanted the spirit of God to tap him on the shoulder and say, you're alive. Because who's going to live inside of us? The Holy Spirit in there. Does that make sense? So there's a mystery to this. But I'm just saying, when I saw this passage, this was a few years ago, and I saw this passage, I'm like, I mean, and I'll talk about this tonight. I'll preach on this tonight from Romans. But it's like, oh, my gosh, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. Help me understand how I am not supposed to be somehow of a, a powerful Christian with dynamite inside of me. Now, I think the only reason that I'm not a power, uh, for some reason I'm not accessing that power is I think, as Romans said last night, I'm either not letting that spirit control me or I've got sin that dominates me. Amen? I think that's what Romans 8, 1 through 7 lays out. The reason that we may not have the power that raised Jesus from the dead inside of us, and we know it, is we either are not letting the spirit control us or... Sin somehow is dominating us. And so when I found this out, I, I, I just, I know the first time I read this, I kind of like, oh my gosh. And I wanted to run to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, if this is true, which I believe the word of God is true, but I think sometimes we've read things or heard things in a way that maybe cultural theology has shaped our thinking instead of biblical theology, real orthodox biblical, because this teaching was 2,000 years old. And somewhere along the 2,000-year timeline, the church kind of lost it. Because I know, if I, I'm, just tell, I'm just being real with you all. I know in all my years of growing up in church off and on, I never heard that the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. I just simply heard what? What did I hear? Jesus rose. He arose. He arose. Right? Great, great Easter song. That's all I heard until I started hearing and reading in Scripture, wait, the Spirit of God raises the dead. That's what I said. And the Spirit of God didn't just rise, raise him from the dead. The Spirit of God is in you. Come on. Yes, ma'am. The same word that Paul uses in, in Ephesians is the same word there. That's exactly power, power, dunamis, dynamite, dynamite. It is this power that now changes us. And once again, 
here's this connection. If I am just saved from my bad action. Listen, if sin is just something I do bad, there's really no power in that. I don't need God to change my habits. But I do need God to change my nature. I need his power. I need the blood and I need the power. I need both. I need the blood that only Jesus could provide. Amen? But I need the power of the washing of the Holy Spirit, as Titus says, for him to do it. Amen? Why wouldn't the Trinity be involved in being born again? Why wouldn't it be a perfect unity of the Trinity? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Why wouldn't it be? But we've eliminated, if we're honest, we've eliminated from our theology and our teaching, our preaching, and even in our understanding and our living, we've kind of eliminated that third piece, the Holy Spirit. We know the Father wants us to be born again. We know Jesus did everything he could do and he he was able to do in his divine power to save us from our sins. But what we don't understand sometimes is the Holy Spirit is the one who applies the blood. Right? Right? Man, yep. I think that's one of the verses I have in here. I think Luke 4, maybe not, maybe not. But it's one, it's that's perfect, exactly. Je- Holy Spirit is the one who leads Jesus into the wilderness, and then the Holy Spirit is the one who anoints Jesus for ministry. Now, this isn't because Jesus is weak. Don't hear that. Don't leave here thinking, well, he's talking. Jesus couldn't do it. No, of course Jesus could do it. But what, what, what we're saying is that that's not the plan that God had to put in place. The plan that God put in place is the Holy Spirit was going to be the one to do it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who he wants to live inside of us. Does that make sense? So once again, again, don't shoot me, don't hurt me. Jesus, the second person, does not live inside of us. Jesus, his spirit, third person, does. But they are three persons. They're three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So this this, this theology that I think we've kind of, for whatever reason, we've kind of left behind. And I just know that, that as I'm just as a past, as a person, just as a person, this theology has changed my life, understanding the true nature of a person living in me and then watching it. So theologically, it's changed my life, but experientially, it's changed my life. You, you know what that means? I've experienced things that I've never thought I would experience because there's a real power at work in me and through me. And, and so just to let just to let. Uh, just to kind of help us know that 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 this theology, I think, is kind of we've kind of left beside the on the wayside. And I just again, we see the Holy Spirit at work in every part of of, of life, every part of every holy moment. We see it. Does that make sense? All right. Second time. Second time. All right. So I probably won't go through all this, but as far as scripture, but you can check it out. But in Joel two, Joel two, you know the promise. Of course. So Joel 2 is the, is the prophecy that says we will be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've already referred to this. This is the prophet Joel. Uh, he says uh, in the last days, in the last days, we will uh, we will be receiving his spirit. His spirit will be poured out. You, may, you might remember this passage. His spirit will be poured out to how many? 
all flesh, all men, all women. God does not discriminate. He has no favorites, and yet all of us are his favorites. Amen? I love it. He has no favorites, and yet we all can be his favorites. And so he pours out. So there's a promise. I want you to anybody say promise. There's a promise. And then this passage that you referred to, Melissa, just a little bit ago about Acts 8, Acts 1, I'm sorry, Acts 1 and Acts 2. We know about Pentecost and this kind of this weird day where tongues of fire appear and the wind blows through the house and, and, and the Holy Spirit comes into the believers. Now, understand that now it was promised by Jesus. Jesus promised in Acts 1. He says, wait here and wait for my promise. And watch what he says. He says this, wait for the promise that my father has promised. Do you see the Trinity again, guys? Do you see the Trinity again? Oh, guys, I just, I want us to just understand this beautiful, I think we really have, if, if nothing else, I just would want and hope and pray that, that the church of Jesus Christ would come to understand the beautiful power of the Trinity again. I think we've eliminated the Trinity. I think, you know, you know most of the time, I, the only time I heard the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit in, in church when I grew up, anybody want to guess? The only time I ever heard Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit in, in the church when I grew up, I thought the Holy Spirit had to do with money. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? And at the end, right? Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And that was during our church. In our church, that was during the offering. I always, I just, I never, I, I thought Holy Ghost is a ghost that has to do with money. I'm serious. I lived that way for 33 years of my life. Because no one taught about the Holy Ghost. No one spoke about the Holy Spirit. No one taught biblically about the Trinity. I didn't hear it. I heard a lot about Jesus, praise God. I fell in love with Jesus later in life. I got baptized, I told you yesterday, for two reasons, not the right reasons. But I, I kind of hung around. I knew enough about it. But, but here's this promise. So the, the, the promise is a pouring, and then the promise is given. Acts 1, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will be given. Acts 2, the promise of the Holy Spirit is given. Now look at Ephesians 5. I do want to just make sure, yeah, I think you know this passage, but Ephesians 5.18, uh, Paul tells the church, he says, he says uh, and we're talking about emotionalism, we're talking about different things, we're talking about uh, when Paul is talking about living in the light here, but he says, be careful how you live, don't be foolish, verse 16, verse 15, verse 17, and then verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, and the last part says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, that means keep filling, keep increasing until complete. Amen? That's what it means. Anybody have a car that you don't have to fill up with gas? Anybody have one of those cars? I know there's battery cars out there, but is there? So, so now that battery, though, even if it's a battery car, what do you have to do at some point? So it's a car. It's a car. It's a car needs gas. The car needs power to keep going. How much more God's church? God's church needs the power of the Holy Spirit. So th there's a lot of questions about sometimes we want to kind of debate about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to actually talk about that tomorrow or Thursday. Uh, we'll talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is that? What isn't it? Uh, we've had questions always that mean to pray in the Spirit. We've talked about that a little bit. We'll, talk, we'll kind of dive into that. We'll talk about fruits and gifts and all that in the next couple of days. But just understand, for, from what I understand in Scripture, this being filled is something that Paul exhorts the church 
I think this was promised, and I think it's expected that we would just keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the question is, not just are you full of the Holy Spirit, but are you getting filled with the Holy Spirit? And when I use that language, do you know? Do you know what that means? Do you, do you have this idea? Or do you like, I don't know. It's a command by Scripture. The church, Paul tells the church, be filled. Jesus, if you read, if you read the last three or four chapters, if you read John 14, John 15, John 16. Read John 14, John 15, John 16. The Holy Spirit is one of the main things that Jesus is talking about. And you know why that's significant? Anybody know the context of John 14, John 15, and John 16? Jesus, it's a Thursday night. It's a Thursday. We believe it's a Thursday night. And Thursday night, it's that special Thursday night where he washed the disciples' feet. Peter's saying, don't wash my feet. Jesus is already leaving to take care of business. And he's about ready to descend from the Mount of Olives or from, from the upper room to go down to the valley of the Kidron Valley to go up to the Mount of Olives to pray. And in that meantime, somewhere in that process, in the upper room or while they're walking, he's teaching. And you know what he's teaching majority on? The Holy Spirit. You might want to pay attention to that. That just before Jesus is left, just, just before Jesus is crucified, his main one of his main focus of teaching. The other part is, is love. Imagine that. Jesus talking about love. But guess what the fruit of the spirit is? Guess what the guess what makes the number one list of the fruit of the spirit? We'll talk about this in the next couple of days, but you do know it's not called the fruit of Jesus. So don't hurt me, don't shoot me. Of course it's the fruit of Jesus. But who is the only one given to us to help produce the fruit? The Holy Spirit. You can't be like Jesus without the Holy Spirit. You can't hope to be like Jesus without the Holy Spirit. All right, and then these last ones, I already kind of referred to this. John 14, John 16, John, there's John 15, abide in me. Uh, and so Jesus, just what Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will lead you in all truth. He'll live inside of you. John 14, John 16. This is when he says, it's best, that's what he said, it's best that I, Jesus, go away so the Holy Spirit can come. We talked about this last week, uh, yesterday. Um, Jesus could only walk beside you, 100% man, 100% divine. Could he have done anything he wanted? Yes, but there's a plan, and the Father had the plan. And so Jesus, in his human flesh, in his divine, is it divinity, but in his human flesh, he can only walk beside you. The power of the Holy Spirit can live inside of you. Big, 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 massive difference. And then John 14, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will remind you of Jesus and give you the gift of peace. We talked about this last night. I even asked how many people want the peace of mind and peace of heart. And I do this all the time. We have, we have healing services at our church. Um, um, amazing. You know what we've seen at some of our healing services? Healing. But not just physical healing. Emotional healing. Mental healing. Spiritual healing. It's amazing what happens when you actually kind of let the Holy Spirit do some good supernatural work. It doesn't have to be weird or wacky. It's one of the most peaceful and one of the most wonderful street services we have. Um, I've got a thousand stories I could tell you, but, but uh, most people come to that healing service for a peace of mind and a peace of heart. You know what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit? He said the Holy Spirit will come and give you peace, not the way the world gives you peace. But the Holy Spirit will give you, he says, my peace. Most ever, most people want peace. 
that's the group of teenagers. Peace of mind and peace of heart. Guess who gets it? According to Jesus, guess who gets peace? And Holy Spirit, and Jesus even said, the one that's going to remind you of everything I taught is who? So if you want to read the Bible and actually make sense and actually have it clear and revelation, those moments where you're reading the Bible like, like, aha, right? Those, ah, that's the Holy Spirit. He's illuminating. I don't know, that's, I, we see the Holy Spirit, we could do this all day long, but the Holy Spirit in a lot of holy moments. So, all right, it's 1130. I wanted, we got a few time, a few moments for questions. If you got any questions, I know we've asked a few here and there. But any questions, any thoughts? Pastor Mel, I mean, Pastor Bill, I, I, this is going to be fun. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Few times. Thank you. I think it's on. Hi. Uh, while you were talking, uh, there was a movie that was kind of shot around my group of friends called Enemy Within the Church. And has anyone been around to see it or seen that or heard about it? Okay, we were talking about the the progressive movement within the church. Yeah. There was a movie recommended by a group of friends called Enemy Within the Church, and it's twelve dollars, so I don't want to fork it out right away. You know, I was wondering if anyone had seen it or, or had anything I've to say about it. What's your name, man? Steve. 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 Yeah. Steve. Um. Actually, it's Massachusetts. Stop it. <laughs> Session's done. I love you already. I love you. I love it. Um, I have heard of that. I have not watched it, but um, it is about, I think it is about progressive Christianity inside the church, right? I think that's what it is, the enemy within the church, I think. I've heard of it, but I've not watched it, so uh, have you seen it? Uh, I, I'd have to, I personally, I like to watch things before I recommend anything, but um, I would just tell you, I mean, I, I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not an alarmist. I, I think, I mean, just after two, three days, I think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty upbeat. I mean, I love, I love life. I have joy in my life like I've never had before. Um, you know, suicide has never been a part of my life since I came to Christ and since uh, the Holy Spirit kind of washed me with the blood. But um, I will tell you, this is a, this is really troubling to me, Steve. It's, um, I see, and not just because it's, it's out there in the church, like it's out there in the church. The church claims it to be Christian and Christian teaching. But it's new revelation. Here's the language of progressive Christianity. Here, here's the language to be scared of. I'm just telling you, here's the language to be scared of. I've heard, I've, again, I've, I've kind of dived, I've dove into this for about uh, uh, about eight years now. I'm, I think some of my church are kind of tired of hearing about it. But I'm watching their kids and their grandkids jump off the cliff to that. I mean, they are. They're running to this. And the language is this. I'm just, and I, hear, hear the language. Because it's going to sound familiar. God is doing a new thing. That's the language. Now, anybody think of Scripture? There's Scripture that says God is doing a new thing. But what God will not do is a new thing that changes his character. What God will not do is do a new thing that goes against the word of God. What God will not do is a new thing that confuses you. And, and that's the language. That's the language of of progressive Christianity. It's, it's dangerous, it's lethal, and it's sucking people in because it is Christian, but it's not at all. But it's progressive. Think about it. It's not the commercial. It's not the insurance. It's, it's, it's now, it's a newer version of Christianity. I, I'm sitting there thinking, 
we ain't even got the old version down yet. A lot of the church doesn't even know the Trinity exists the way that they, they need to know. So I agree. I, I, I'll check that out. Um, uh, the enemy within, I think, is yeah. I've heard about it, but I'll check it out. Enemies within, yeah. Yeah, I'll check that out. Thank you. But I think that's probably, I would just think whatever, if you want to watch that, but I would invite you as parents, as grandparents, as people of faith, check out Progressive Christianity. Check out their website because it is, I think it's dangerous. I think it's, yes, sir. Let me grab that mic. Let me pass that mic down. Thank you, sir. When scriptures say in the end times it's going to be a falling away. A falling away. Boy, we need to pray. I don't want to fall. Itching ears. Yeah. Those itching ears. And it's interesting. Um, yeah, the falling away are folks who at least kind of had some semblance of faith. I don't want to get involved in a debate about once saved, always saved. Uh, all I do know is that falling away passage, at least at some point, you had to have known something. Because you can't fall away from something that you didn't have or weren't near. Right? I mean, at least that's logic, right? So, again, I don't want to get into a debate about that. I'm just saying there's at least a falling away. So, guess what? Again, guess what sinners don't have to do? Fall away. Why? They're, all, they're not there. Guess what saints might do? Fall away. Or at least people who knew or have known or something. So, I agree. There's a falling away. We have to be careful of that. Yes, ma'am. You have a, yeah. I'd like to go back to the virgin birth because I just recently, all my life, I never understood this, and it was taught. might even have been here at Bay Shore, but only the Holy Spirit could have conceived Jesus for him to have been born without the sin nature of man. And uh, now I'm beginning to see the bigger picture when the Holy Spirit has gifted us at the point of salvation by our choice to receive the blood of the Lamb to cleanse us from our sins, then our growth in the Holy Spirit and our sainted life is we choose to make those decisions to grow. It's by choice that we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then we can be born again and have an eternal relationship with God. So the same measure... The same me way that we come to Christ from sinner to saint is by faith. It's the same measure that we come to the Holy Spirit by faith, that he's a supernatural person of the Trinity. He's the third person, equal to God, equal to, e equal to the Father, equal to the Son, but a different role. The Holy Spirit has a different role than what Jesus had and what the Father had. Jesus still has a role. Father has a role, but the Holy Spirit now has a role. And the Holy Spirit has a role where? Inside of us. This, even this language of sanctification, anybody ever hear of sanctification? Anybody believe in sanctification? What's the first part of sanctification? Saint. Sanctification. It's the process of becoming a saint and even more of a saint because of the Holy Spirit. But I love your point. The only way that Jesus could become that sinless, because if Jesus came through natural birth, now that wouldn't have happened. But he had to have been born in sin. So the only way that Jesus, second person of the Trinity, could have been born in human flesh and be sinless, not have a sin nature. You know the only reason he didn't sin? 
The only reason he didn't sin was because he was, had a sinless nature. If he was man, all man, he'd have to sin because we all have sinful nature. But there's no way that Jesus, the Son of God, is going to be sinning because he's got the God nature. The promise of the nature of Jesus in us is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so as the Holy Spirit gave birth to Jesus in a sense, because the only way that Jesus could be, the same way the Holy Spirit wants to cleanse us of an old sinful nature and give us that same sinless nature. We'll talk a little bit more uh, about sin and, uh, and uh, this great understanding. There are three Greek words for sin. And when we say sinners, again, I, I just that's just my kind of thing, uh, is, is I think we will be careful of language. But there's a difference between, uh, I use this example all the time, but there's a difference between my son sitting at the table. I use my son because he was the one that got into trouble more than my, than my other three. But if my son is, he's eight years old, and I look at my son and they say, okay, got, listen, Taylor, you cannot dance on top of the dining room table. You can't dance on the table while we're eating. Okay, you just can't. And so if Taylor just gets his move on, and gets a little groove going, and he hears a beat in his head, and he jumps up, and he starts busting a move on the dining room table, something else might be busted, like glasses, and we might have to switch them a little bit. I grew up with switches. I don't know about anybody else. But, so, but if my son, so that would be called what? Sin. That's rebellion. But if my son, has in his eight-year-oldness, reaches for an extra uh, uh, helping of meatloaf, and his, his, his elbow knocks over the sweet tea, which is a travesty in my house, <laughs> is that sin? That's a mistake. Is it still something that broke? Is it still something that wasn't supposed to happen? Is it still something that requires some kind of cleanup? So when I say, if we say we're sinners in the Bible, the definition of sin, properly known, is a rebel against God, hostile to God. You saw that word hostile. I sure hope you're not a rebel against God. So you're not a sinner. You're not a sinner. But you are a saint that sometimes spills the sweet tea. It changes everything. It changes everything. But I love that. I love it. The Holy Spirit. I love the connecting the dots. The Holy Spirit is the one who had to have birthed Jesus, not because it couldn't have happened some other way, but because Jesus, that's how God, that's how the Father had planned it. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gave Jesus that sinless nature, that way of having the sinless nature. He's the same one that can give us that, quote, sinless nature. We go from sinner to saint. Born again, new creation. All right, what else? I know we're, I'm, I'm, I'm encroaching on lunchtime. I know that. Anything else? I don't want to encroach on the, okay, I know better. Three things I don't fight against. Food, babies, cute babies, and wasps. <laughs> I have a little small church, and there's a ton of wasps in the belfry. And when I see a wasp, we just stop and say, hey, we call, just say, I just tell, can you kill it real quick because everybody's doing this. <laughs> I don't fight against food, babies, or wasps. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for this uh, this morning. Thank you so very much for the, the blessing of the word of God. This is this is rich, right? It's just so rich and deep. And I just pray that we continue to stay open to the supernatural power of your Holy Spirit. Um, I, I know that it may be, uh, may be a little different than what we've learned. I know it, it's different than what I'd ever learned in my early life. 
But, Lord, I just thank you for the richness and the truth of it, the truth of it. We pray right now that the truth of the word of God, what I found is there are a lot of younger people who actually do want truth. But progressive Christianity, Satan does not take a holiday. He does not take time off. He's not playing games. And, and this, I think, is just so evil. Uh, the enemies within, and, and the, we, we just ask that we would arm ourselves by prayer, but also by the word of God, and we would arm ourselves with good, strong, biblical, Trinitarian orthodoxy, that we would understand the absolute truth of the word of God. Holy Spirit, you are the one who is supposed to reveal the truth. That's what Jesus, you said. Jesus, you said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to show you and reveal all truth. So Holy Spirit, we are depending on you to show us truth in our own lives and also in the lives of those around us that we can impact and affect for the kingdom of God. We love you so much, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Love you guys so very much. Thank you.